Hello and welcome to Shoot the Breeze, where we take a nostalgic look at a random football magazine from the past. I'm Andy Smith, aka Scotch Footy Cards on Twitter, and with me is Tom Brogan. Hello! Each episode will invite a special guest to join us in trawling through the magazine and discuss anything contained within it. This could be anything from an article to a photograph to a competition to an advert. Basically, if it's in it, then we'll talk about it. So sit back and let's shoot the breeze. Wriggles clear. Might just get the chip and he does. He's scored! Oh, what a great back And this week we're joined by stand-up comedian Sandy Boutel. Welcome, Sandy. Hi, thanks for having me. Welcome, Sandy. Thanks for joining us. So, we picked out a match magazine for yourself. Now, just before we get started, what sort of um, era, you can give me your age of that, so what, what sort of era would you have been as a child? Yeah, so I was, I basically came to football about 90, I think it was the end of the 92 season. Right. I remember watching the Scottish Cup final with my papa. Mm-hmm. And then after that, kind of was into it a bit, but then it was like USA 94 that properly got me into football. Right, okay. World Cup. Okay, so, so yeah, basically early 90s. Onwards. Yeah. So so the magazine we've got is from July the 14th, 1984. So, I mean, it's a little bit before your time, but then again, it's not as if you don't know about anything before you were born or before you started following football. So Yeah, I, can't, I really can't hack that when... Like things are pointless or whatever. People are like, oh, it's before my time. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, poor yeah, excuse. Yeah. Poor excuse. Yeah. Okay. So the front page dominated by a photograph of Mark Hately and what looks yeah. like his Portsmouth kit. Um, like handsome Mark Hately there with the, the hair. It's it's quite a. a as we go through, actually, there's a few photographs of people and they've got that sort of sweeping over, you know, bouffant type hairstyle going on as well. I mean, it's a good look for him. It's definitely better than his hair. When he was up in Scotland, that was yeah memorable. You, <laughs> yeah, you can see though that there is going a bit north there as well, isn't it? So yeah, yeah. It's, it's not. Its... I mean, it's not the best example of that type of hair, but it's <laughs> it's a solid six out of ten. Yeah. So the text that accompanies the photo is the goal that changed my life. Um, so there's a, an article story in there from Mark Haley, and underneath there is a second photo, and now this one's in black and white. Um, and Haitley is scoring for England over Brazil. And then the text here says, Mark Haitley, and in brackets, nine. And I'm assuming that's a number, not his age at the time. <laughs> Se- seals victory for England over Brazil with the goal that sent AC Milan scurrying for their checkbook. Even though they've got him pictured in his um, Portsmouth kit, he's, he's recently moved over to Italy for AC, with AC Milan. 38 pence is a magazine, as always, a bargain. Other titles on it revealed Division 4's top player. Can't wait to look at Division 4's top player. Maybe we won't. Maybe we won't. Another one, My Chelsea Choker by Mickey Droy. Mickey Droy's always some, well, he's somebody, I say always, but he's somebody who's fascinated me since I, I saw photographs of him and team photos and stuff because he is an absolute Unit. giant. Oh, he's, he's, he's absolutely, I mean, it's like, you know, these um, school photos of a certain age where people's heights and stuff are shot up and you, you you don't have this gradual thing you've got. It's going along and then up really high and stuff. Mickey Joy looks like that as an adult. Yeah, 
saw the photo of him like later on in the the magazine, and he's I've, I, it just it totally resonated with me because <laughs> he looked like the sort of footballer I might have been able to be, <laughs> like not quite right, yeah. but he's probably a total unit, as you say. Yeah, yeah. He's using he's using um, what he's got to the best. Um, I think is it one of those footballers who basically just stopped other people playing football. <laughs> that's that's totally my style. Yeah. I love that. Like it, it took me quite a while to realise that that was like an actual way of playing football. Yeah. <laughs> if I had it been that way when I was like ten, I think I might have made it. But yeah. it was too it was too nice. Okay, so it also says in colour: Graham Roberts, Paul Hart, and Kenny Sansom. Um, now here is one for you know for the the PC brigade. It says soccer's dishiest player. Vote now. Inside there is a. I mean we we will go through that without a doubt. And it's you know it's it's quite a it's quite a cringeworthy piece all in when we read through it. But we'll save that for now. Now just at the bottom, fifty three fifty three pence in era and one hundred and sixty five pesetas in Spain. Ah, remember the days of the pesetas. <laughs> so. We'll have a wee look inside, pages two and three. So this is One Goal Changed My Life by Mark Hatley. See, um, that's, that's remarkable in itself, because I think this was the era where like, one performance could get you a big yeah. transfer. Yeah. Or, that's or, what or, I was going to ask, because I, d- I didn't really know of him playing at Portsmouth, but was he, was he good enough to, to get over to AC Milan and merit more than that one goal? I don't know. I mean, you would think so. You you would think AC Milan, even in that either, wouldn't do their business based on being able to meet a John Barnes cross. Yeah, yeah. You know, you think there would be a bit more to it that they would have. I think they say in that article that they had apparently scouted him at Portsmouth mm. before that goal, but but this does seem like that era of where people sort of arrived. I, I think maybe because it was less te- televised games, where, mm-hmm. where people could a- arrive with one big. One performance in a big match, kind of thing. Oh, I mean, we've seen that more recently. Was it the Was it the the USA World Cup where um, Salenko scored the the four goals, which yeah. led to him, you know, going to Rangers and things like that. So, I mean, we've we've seen it through all the years where this happens, and quite often it was they had a good game against the team, and the team would then go by them. But um, no, I I, th- I think I think he, you know, I think. There was more to it than this one goal, but I think it maybe was um, was the the vote of confidence or the the little push that they needed to say, "Yep, listen, if he can do it against Brazil, then then he can he can do it in Milan." So Mark Mark Hately relives the goal which changed his life and vowed, "I won't flop in Italy. Give me the service, and I'll give you goals." Again, this is this we've touched on this sort of. Um, positive attitude before Tom where nobody ever says nah I don't think it's going to be for me I mean I've, I've signed the contract and everything but I don't think I'm going to do well I mean of course they're going to say I won't flop in Italy but Mark is full of confidence and can shine on the world's biggest football stage despite the fact teammate Luther Blissett looks set to return home from AC Milan after a torturous first season in Italy he's only scored five goals since moving for £1 million 12 months ago now, Haley says, I'm a different type of player to Luther. He's quicker than me, but I'm better in the air and more aggressive. And, and aggression plays a big part in Italian football. I don't think I'll have problems adjusting to the style of play. I'm not scared of going in when it hurts. I am big enough to look after myself. Mark admits that he may have still been a Portsmouth player had it not been for England's historic win over Brazil in the Maracanã, where he scored England's second goal. So, I mean, he... he does think it, you know, maybe it would have been a bit different. 
He says it was the most. Do you remember that game, Andy? I don't. I don't. If I'm being perfectly honest, no. What I remember about it was a friendly, and what I was this the one? Sorry, was this the one? Was on live on on ITV. Just the second half. Just the second half. Yeah. Uh, and so when you joined, you got the sort of highlights of the first half, yeah. And then the second half—that's that's my that's my memory of it. And that wasn't a crazy situation to happen in the eighties hmm. or the seventies that you would get yeah. the second half of a game live. Yeah, was this the one John Barnes scored? Yeah. All oh, right. Yeah, I, yeah, I remember. Yeah, I mean, Barnes that was double a... doing half the Brazil defence. Yeah, yeah. I, I definitely remember that, but I don't remember Hartley's goal. But yeah, I remember the John Barnes goal for obvious reasons. It was a great goal. So Mark does say it was the most important goal of my career and changed my life. So at the time, Hartley, twenty-two, will pocket a cool six hundred and fifty thousand pound over the next three years. Big money for footballers in those days. I and, take it he didn't last those three years though. I or was he there for the whole time? I don't know how long he was there. I never thought to check how long he was there. And I think he was there for more than a season. But the, he says the Italian league is the best in the world. It's going to be like playing in the World Cup every week. He admits the decision was the toughest of his life and acknowledges that part played um, by his English teammate Ray Wilkins. And he says the fact that Ray will also be playing for Milan next season had a big bearing on my move. If I had to face the prospect of going there alone, my decision may well have been different. And it's worked out perfectly for our families. We'll be living near each other, so that means our wives won't get lonely. Mark reveals that his contract with Milan stipulated that he must be released for all internationals. This is important to him, given the fierceness of the competition in the squad. On a transfer to Milan, completed less than an hour before the Italian self-imposed two-year ban on foreign imports was due to start, Haitley... Um, Haitley says everything happened so quickly it was only 10.30pm the day before the deadline that I was told officially that Portsmouth and Milan had come to an agreement the next morning I rushed down to London and after a four and a half hour slog over terms I was ready to sign he then had to fly over to Italy to do the deal and it could be officially registered before the deadline he says I think we made it with about 15 minutes to spare it was very close so, the, the, I mean, the interesting thing for that was this was right at the, the start of the Italian, as they say, the Italian-imposed foreigner rule. And what was it, three three foreigners, I think, was it, Tom, that I think could play in any team? Or was it just two, actually? I think it was just two. Yeah. Was that to, sorry, was that to hopefully encourage the national team to become better? or? Yeah, I, I, I presume that, that is, because that, that seems to be... The driving, whenever that's discussed anywhere, that seems to be the reason why it's it's to improve ultimately the national team. So this would have been eighty four, after eighty two maybe. I mean they won the World Cup in eighty two, didn't they? So mm. it's not as if. But then again, they did have some bad results for the European Championships and that coming up as well. So you know maybe they just expected more, but. You know, they seemed to be doing okay at the time. And I don't know how long that lasted for as well. But it certainly... Yeah, the mag- magazine gives you a good list there of all the foreign mm-hmm. imports at each at each club. Yeah. And yeah. When, you, when you look at it, you know, the names there, uh, Rumeniger, Falcao, Pla- Platini, Boniek, Socrates, Zico, Michael Loudrup. Mm. You know, it really was just at best. Yeah. Maradona really was just at best mm. in the world at the time. Yeah, they were, they were going for at least a season or two in Italy. Yeah, so... Uh, I mean, 
It does say there's a photograph of Graeme Souness down the bottom as well. Say Scotland skipper Graeme Souness tempted to Italy by Sampdoria in the close season, which he did. He ended up going to. So I don't know. Would that have been? It probably would have been that season he would have went to '84. So yeah, I'd imagine that they still would have got him then. Um, other photographs we've got. We've got a photograph of Mark Cately in his England strip. We've got a photograph of Ray Wilkins. To be honest, looking a little bit overweight there, if I'm if I'm being or, or shall I say um, chunky? Maybe it's just the short shorts and things like that that make him look a little bit more. I don't ever remember him being bulky. Let's put it that way. And Luther Blissett as well, which I think you know the 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 photograph they've got of Luther is um, carrying his boots over his shoulders and waving. It's sort of symbolic of his time in Italy, isn't it? Um, that hi, I'm I'm on my way back home. Which, yeah, it looks, it looks like he's. They've taken it for him leaving, but it's quite sort of pressing for him coming back as well. Hmm. There's a sadness in his eyes. <laughs> Maybe he knew he was going to flop. Like as you were saying, like there's players that must know it's not for them, but they need to go and try. Hmm. Was it um, was it Luther Blissett the story, Tom? That they th- maybe thought it was John Barnes. Ah, oh, I've heard that. Yeah, 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 I don't know how true that is. Yeah. They bought their own player. Yeah, it, it'd be a nice, funny wee story if it was true. Um, but see, actually, just on that. So as I say, he's he's sort he's holding the laces of the boots over his shoulders and the the. And I saw this in another magazine the other day, and I, I don't think we got a chance to talk about it. But I remember. Whenever when it was we and you were going to play football, you would you would tie the laces together, and then you'd put them over your your neck, so the boots would be like one in each side of your 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 boobs sort of thing, and it was like it wasn't until I saw that that reminded me that's what you used to do. You know, you just it was just an easy way to free up your hands and not have to carry your boots. I, I used to have a boot bag, and it was the smelliest thing like <laughs> you've ever seen because like. Used to play in the ash pitches as well, so it would just be every time you opened it, it'd be about like I don't know, five big clumps of grass and like ash and disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> so, the whole idea of like tying it around your neck sounds quite appealing, actually. <laughs> yeah. Kind of looks a bit more professional as well. Mm. Also, and it's just reminded me when I used to go to the swimming baths, what you used to do is you would get a towel, so you'd have your towel and your, your trunks, and you would wrap your sort of roll your trunks inside the towel really tight yeah. and then you put it under your arm and it's just a strange wee thing you know you'd be going your way and you'd be seeing kids you know just walking down streets towards everybody with their, their towel under their arms uh, it's all changed now it's all changed now um, so moving on pages 3 and 4 this is Match Chat compiled by Dave Smith so this is lots of little articles just little wee stories and stuff. And the, the thing you note from this, there's quite a lot of Scottish content over these two pages. So we'll go through a few of them. So starting off, Scotland would have tested France. And this is by John Mark. The, this article has an accompanying black and white photo of John Mark in his Liverpool strip. One cobbled together from multiple kits, which we spoke about before. This one, um, you can't see the shots. Now, it's in black and white, but we know that it's red top black shorts and was it yellow socks Tom? Yeah yellow socks yeah. Okay so which would have been the game against Watford that they Watford, played yeah. yeah. So Wark takes a swipe at critics who said no home country team would have lived with the opposition in the European Championship finals. All the home nations failed to qualify for the finals in France 
and with the quality of football in the tournament, some critics claimed it's just as well we weren't there. Now, Wark says, no team is unbeatable. France looked a great side, and in Michel Platini and Jean Tigana, they have two marvellous players, but their keeper, Joel Batts, didn't look too clever. I think we could have given them a good game. I'm not saying we would have beaten them, but we could have performed better than some of the teams in the final. You get them told, John. Absolutely. <laughs> I like the idea, though, of like, yeah, we didn't have enough to get through the group in qualifying, but had we got through, we would have done really well. It's like, <laughs> all right, cool. Nice one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the next one is um, England's, bl- well, yeah, England's Black Diamond. So this is up at the top. Um, it says, the emergence of black stars means that England could now field a team of coloured players to compete with the best in Europe. So match then give their suggestion for a 1-11 to for this team before asking the reader, can you think of a better side? Write and let me know. Yeah, it's felt a wee bit, it's it's felt a bit weird reading it <laughs> either as well. Like just the language and it's a bit weird. And I don't know, it seems like they're or we're doing these players a favour by totally tokenising them in yeah. an 11 side team. It's just mm. aye, a bit grim. I mean, all the players are amazing, but the fact that they've all been put together for that specific reason felt a bit weird to see written Yeah, and you're right, and it's just this, oh, but they're that good now. They're that good that they could compete in Europe. You know, that's how good the blacks have got now. And it's like, oh my God. But this, can you think of a better side? Write and let me know. So, I mean, some some of the players mentioned, Alex Williams, Man City. Now, Alex Williams is probably... Certainly, probably the only black goalkeeper that I could think of from that period. It's got Viv Anderson, Danny Thomas, Chris Fairclough, Paul Elliott, Remy Moses, Ricky Hill, Mark Chamberlain, Cyril Regis, Danny Wallace and John Barnes. I mean, it is quite a a cracking team. team. But yeah, you're right. I mean, just the whole language around it and, you know, it's it's not comfortable reading. No, I mean, there's quite a lot of it in this edition of match though but that bit definitely stood out yeah, <laughs> yeah. not in a good way yeah they certainly 1984 it, it, it does age the, the I guess the fact that like there's a a bit in the letter section later on where somebody is written in to complain about the treatment of uh, sort of players of colour from like the England team when they were travelling yeah and um, every other letter has had a response but that one's just blank but then this is in, at the see, start of the the magazine. It just kind of felt a bit... See, actually, I, I, I know the one you're talking about. It was, I think, John Barnes and Mark Chamberlain, wasn't it? And, yeah. Um, but anyway, it, understandably, the person wrote in to say that was horrific, mm-hmm. that they've had to go through that sort of horrible behaviour. But then the same edition's got this 11-a-side of players that yeah. aren't white. And it's just... It's, aye, it's a bit of a weird one but, to see. We will get to that, but just... It's interesting that you said that about the letter because my actual take on that was, I mean, I noticed as well there wasn't a reply, but I just thought that there didn't need to be a reply. It was a statement, and they totally, could have just said. I think, they like, could have the said, reply yep, to agree. one of them was uh, they said something along the lines of what John Work was saying that yeah, yeah. if we had a British team, we would have done well, and they just went rubbish <laughs> in the replies. So I think if it was going to be that subtle in reply to mm. an actual important discussion about racism it might have done more harm than good so. yeah yeah it's yeah. a good point so yeah. the next one we're going to look at here is Irvin to quit 
Everton. So, out of favour, Alan Irvin, and there's a photo included of him, is set to leave Goodison. The 25-year-old Scott, who joined three years ago from Queen's Park, lost his place towards the end of last season, and, given the form of Trevor Stephen and Terry Curran, he sees no immediate prospect of getting it back. Now, Irvin says, I am now third choice behind Trevor and Terry, and the thought of playing reserve football next season certainly doesn't appeal to me. I feel my game has improved each year at Everton, but that will be stifled playing in the reserves. I feel it's in my best interest that I start the new season with a new club. So, Alan Irvin, we'll have to take a wee look at his profile. Full name, James Alan Irvin. So, Alan's his middle name. We find that quite a lot where, where people use the middle name rather than the first name. He was born in July 1958 in Glasgow. Um, he started off at Queen's Park between 77 and 81, where he made 88 league appearances. And then he moved to Everton when he was there, 81 to 84, but he only made 60 appearances. So, I mean, that's not... It's, it's an okay return for sort of three seasons. Crystal Palace after that, he made 109 appearances between 84 and 87. And then he had a spell at Dundee United between 87 and 89 and finished off at Blackburn Rovers between 89 and 92. He's managed a few teams as well. Blackburn and Newcastle, he was a youth manager there. He was assistant at Everton. Preston North End and Sheffield Wednesday management periods there. Uh, West Bromwich Albion. Blackburn was the assistant. Norwich was a caretaker and West Ham was a caretaker as well. Now, he helped Everton win the 1983-84 FA Cup. Despite being left out of the final matchday squad, he'd started all previous seven FA Cup matches up to and including the semi-final, scoring goals in the third and fifth round ties. So that seems a wee bit harsh on him. Rough, rough to get left yeah. out in the end. Eh? Yeah. In 1992, he was part of the Blackburn team that won promotion to the new FA Premier League as well. So, yeah, he was out of favour. Um, moved to Crystal Palace and had a good three years there. So, I mean, the three years at Crystal Palace, 109 games compared to 60 over the same period for Everton um, in the league. So, I think he made the right the right choice. So, up at the top, the next one, we've got Hammer Ray is leading fancy. Um, so, it's about Ray Stewart. And again, there's a photo included of him in black and white. Uh, it says, Ray Stewart is hoping to follow in the illustrious footsteps of Bobby Moore and Billy Bonds and become the next captain of West Ham. Manager John Lyle has the task of appointing a new captain now that Bonds no longer wishes to be considered as a first-team regular. And he went on record to say that Stewart looked a skipper for the future when he first arrived at the club. Being the captain of any side is a great honour, Stewart says, and carries tremendous responsibility, but I thrive on pressure. That's why I enjoy taking penalties so much. Following two tremendous skippers such as Bobby Moore and Billy Bonds would be a formidable task, but I'm confident I could make a success of it, should I be asked. So we'll, we'll just take a wee quick look at Ray Stewart as well. Um, full name, Raymond Struan MacDonald Stewart. I mean, that's a right Scottish name, that, isn't it? <laughs> so he was born in Stanley in Perthshire in September '59. He started off at Dundee United, 76 to 79, uh, 44 league appearances. Between 79 and 1991, he was at West Ham United, making 345 league appearances, scoring 62 goals, um, which was good going um, for a defender. Um, but a lot of those were penalties, which we'll talk about. He had a short spell 
91-92 St Johnston then finished his career at Stirling Albion 94-95 he's 10 Scotland caps and won gold to his, to his name and he's had some spells at managing Livingston, Stirling Albion and Forfar Athletic now he was voted the SPFA Young Player of the Year in 1979 just before he's moved to West Ham and he was transferred for a fee of £430,000 in 1979 making them the most expensive teenage footballer at the time. I mean, that's a lot of money. He won the FA Cup with West Ham in 1980, and he scored 81 out of 86 penalty kicks. But he also scored twice from the rebounds of the five that he missed. So that's that's that's, that's remarkable. That's a good fact. That's like remarkable. That. He had a serious knee injury and was out for 14 months at West, West Ham, and he continued to play for a few years after, which we've spoken about, but he never really got back to the same level he was at before. So I think, if I said to you, Tom, Ray Stewart, you'd say penalties, wouldn't you? Oh, penalties, absolutely, yeah. yeah. And there's, a, there's a good documentary I watched recently on Amazon Prime, and it's called uh, Everyone's Second Team. It's about West Ham, mm-hmm. and it's about that era. It's basically about the West Ham team that won the FA Cup 1980. Yeah. And uh, Ray Stewart's one of the players that's, that's interviewed, and he talks about his, his penalty kick taking. And uh, apparently, he used to practice without a, a goalkeeper, but he would put cones, mm. uh, and he would just basically hit the put the cone where he wanted to to hit the ball, and he said he would just hit it sort of fifty times, kind of thing, and mm. then move it another few yards, and then and then hit it uh, again. And so that was the way he sort of he, he trained with taking with taking penalties. Mm. Uh, and so he said he was, he was always confident, no matter who he was up against, just going. But it just makes you think why? Why are? I mean, you look back. If you were a, if you were a professional footballer or a footballer at any level that you thought I would all have to take penalties, you look back at successful penalty kick takers and say, what did they do? And from what you've just said there, well, why wouldn't that then? Maybe it is. I don't know. But why wouldn't that then become the training regime that you would do for taking penalty kicks? Because the proof is in the pudding, isn't it? It just it just would make sense to say this guy scored eighty one out of eighty six, hit the rebound, scored away the rebound. To, I, I love yeah, I do love that fact. To to the rebounds he scored as well. But, you know, it's like, there's a lot of penalty takers now. It's it's all about like confidence and like the sort of weird step up and things like that. Yeah. But because that, I mean, fair enough, you can't train to be calm under pressure but if you can get somebody that's so like knows they'll hit the target 99 out of 100 times then that is probably a really good way to train people to, to mm. take them rather than doing like the that wee chip thing oh, that the they do. And stuff. Oh, I hate that I hate all that my head in. so much that you know because uh, it, 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 you know it should just be a rare occasion that, that people do that but everybody's trying everybody tries to do it now and it's some guys that don't really have the same sort of the swagger, you know. No. I mean, it's all right for uh, Pirlo doing it kind of thing, you know. But sort of running the mill players are doing it in sort of running the mill games, you know. Mm. Uh, even that uh, Zidane one in the 2006 World Cup final, like he kind of got lucky with that. Yeah, he did. <laughs> Any other player in the world, it would have hit off the underside and bounced back out. But he just kind of mm. that cool. But see, I, I I I hate the whole. You talked about the, the run up and the sort of step and the pause and things like that. That that used to be outlawed, didn't it? Yeah, and then they've allowed that, and it's like I don't, I don't see why they can allow that and not allow a keeper to come off his line before it. You know, because totally, it's like especially if somebody's running up like that, you you would kind of have that sort of nervous lunge hmm. forward slightly. Yeah, 
So if you don't go to ground and save it, then you should be commended rather than mm. reprimanded for it. Yeah. So I mean, I, I get, I get the the it's the advantage should be with the the attacking team because obviously mm. they've been given a penalty kick, but I just that all that just does matter in that whole, you know, this whole thing about the keeper has to be just on the line. You're not allowed to move off and stuff like that. It you may as well just say look, just. Blindfold them and let them try and hit it in an empty goal. In fact, there we go. That's an idea. Well, like how they used to do um, when the MLS started. If a game was mm. tied, they would have like a penalty shootout, but take them from the halfway line and like yeah, basically have one and one twenty seconds to yeah. score one and one. Yeah. yeah, like that. There's more skill for both of the keeper and the attacker in that instance. I think. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think that sounds as if it was more exciting. I mean, I've just seen videos of it, but. Because you don't really know what's going to happen, kind of thing, you know. Hmm. Uh, it sounds as if it's more exciting, well, yeah. especially when it gets down to like uh, your seventh, eighth taker, and it's like a, a centre back who's got no legs. Like, <laughs> it'll probably take him twenty seconds to get to the, the eighteen yard box. Yeah. No, I'd, 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 I would certainly, I'd, I'd at least try it again. I mean, it was only ever tried in the MLS, wasn't it? Over in the states, I don't, I don't yeah, think, I think it was so. Tried yeah, anybody else ever done that? And things like that, I would definitely, I'd definitely try that again. Um, and also, like how their games used to, like when it hit ninety minutes, that was it. Like they, they had like a countdown almost, and it sort of understand that that's maybe not fair if there's injuries and stuff. But um, I don't know, like come, bring it in for like a league cup game, yeah. see if it works. It might be exciting. There, yeah. there, there was there was talk recently, some that suggested that the 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 length of the game be cut down. So instead of forty-five minutes, it would be thirty minutes or twenty-five minutes. Ah, it's but, like thirty minutes of the, an actual playing yeah, time, yeah, kind so, of thing. So it would be I, the, the clock. The clock would stop as soon as the ball yeah, would play. I would love to see that try just to see yeah. how it works and what length of time you would actually spend at a game to get thirty minutes each half of actual playing time. You know, just be interesting just to just to see it. You know, because yeah. obviously, it, you know, the, the time wasting would be sort of pointless. Mm. Then, you know, but it would yeah. be interesting. Well, especially with like the, the the problems they'll have coming back to football after the coronavirus sort of lockdown. Yeah. I mean, could they have it like they have shorter games just so they can fit more in in a day almost? Or mm. like cause we we um mate of mine we were talking about the ten and sixes the other day. Oh yeah, yeah. And how like they they just don't happen. That haven't happened since ninety three, but. Something like that might be quite a good way yeah, of no, getting around yeah. things like this. I still, yeah. I still maintain that we should get the the best players from each team on FIFA and just play each other and those those for the rest of the season. That's how the the results are done. I get, saw the one they were doing with uh, the Premier League. We're getting a representative from each team to play each other, and I think Diego Jota won it. But right. they were they were like televising it and interviewing them in between or like during the matches and stuff. So they're like, right, we're just going over to Alexander uh, Trent Alexander Arnold to, for his opinion about that, and he's just like sitting playing his game, not listening. <laughs> and, like the three games I watched, they were all like that, and the guys are like, oh yeah, they're just dedicated professionals. <laughs> it was really interesting, just all these like guys who you think would be up for a bit of banter, but like the minute the game started, they were just totally in, in the zone. zoned in on it. Mm. All right, so um, let's move on to unwelcome visitors down the bottom, bottom left here. Um, 
So this is Norwich boss Ken Brown is looking to ban visiting supporters in an effort to combat hooliganism. Fair enough. Um, I'm guessing the results aren't going too well for Ken at the minute, are they? <laughs> That's a bit of deflection there. I mean, obviously, the, the period, the time here was, hooliganism was rife. Um, and it certainly would have been one way to solve the problem, but I, I don't think it would have been the best way to solve it. I, I think it kind of would ruin a lot of games doing that. Like I, I remember going to, my mate stayed down in Chester, uh, but we went through to Wrexham to see Wrexham v Chester, yeah. and it was the wildest game I've ever seen. Like there was fans like ripping up seats, and <laughs> like a Wrexham fan, no, a Chester fan was in the Wrexham end, so he was getting like punches thrown at him and stuff. And <laughs> not condoning that sort of behaviour, but it totally made the derby like feel even more yeah. like important. So uh, the idea of like having away fans banned from games just seems a bit mm. rubbish. Yeah. I'm guessing, and my guess is that that didn't happen. So next one is a new manager at Queen of the South. Centre back Nobby Clark is the new manager of Queen of the South. A big defender who joined the Dumfries club from Partick Thistle nine years ago takes over from Drew Busby, who resigned at the end of last season following the team's failure to win promotion to the first division. But they have that sort of level of reporting of like first and second division Scottish teams now in. I know you don't get sort of magazines like this as widespread, but the the reporting's been really good in terms of well, like you were saying, the the front page they've got the fourth division's mm. top players as a featured article. I quite liked that about this. Yeah, it, it was. Um, I keep I, I I do mention this a fair bit that up until certainly the early nineties, but I would say probably where we are here, so eighty four, mid eighties upwards. The magazine started either probably less Scottish content, but the stuff that was was more focused on the the Premier League and the top of that. Mm-hmm. Whereas years before this, you would get an entire page article on Brecon or Cowdenbeath or you know something like that, and it, it was like they certainly did. Um, it wasn't just lip service to little clubs like little clubs like that. I hate saying that, but you know the smaller clubs. It wasn't just lip service they paid. So there was, and Tom, you know as well. You know, it's like when you find a wee, when you were certainly when you were younger, and you find a wee yeah. mention of Clyde Bank or something in it, you'd be like, yeah, and it would just really raise you up, and you're like, yeah, there's, I'm gonna I'm gonna cut that wee bit out, and it's like you know half an inch or something like that. Probably should have left it in the page. Um, but yeah, so there we go. Um, Nobby Clark, Queen of the South. A free but not easy is the next one. So this is on the right hand side. And this is Clyde manager Craig Brown is hit out at the demands of players on free transfers. Scanning the lists is a, in the hope of adding to his squad. The Sheffield, the Sheffield boss, received one or two nasty shocks in his approaches to players. Now Brown says, "There's no way I'll pay that sort of money. Some of these men want." And I will now be looking to the juvenile and amateur ranks to get some up-and-coming players who could do a good job for Clyde on a more long-term basis. Um, I think that is uh, later on. I don't know if it's on this page or maybe a bit later on. There's, uh, John Clark is saying the same. Um, at Cowdenbeath, I think, is it? Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's always going to be difficult, but, you know, probably back then, 
you know, the the sort of money that they were wanting probably wouldn't make us think twice based on figures today and things like that. But it would have been a big shock for for Craig Brown. We would have brought through Pat Nevin and Steve Archibald round about this period. Oh, that Steve Archibald would have been earlier. Pat Nevin would have been round about this time. Yeah, Pat Nevin was round about that time. Yeah. yeah. Is that see it says Shawfield? Is that were they playing at the dog track? Yeah, the dog track. Yes. Yeah. I actually saw I saw a game there in um, Aberdeen, Clyde, Clyde versus Aberdeen in the Scottish Cup. My dad took us and went with Monco and stuff many years ago. I mean, I've I went past it maybe a year or two ago and had a wee look, you know, through gaps and stuff, and I, I don't think it's changed particularly it's much, much, if I'm no. being, being honest. But yeah, does that mean that them and uh, Queens Park were quite a big rivalry for a while, or? I, I don't, I don't know. That, in fact, that yeah, I went and saw Queen's Park v Clyde, and it was quite poisonous in a way. But I didn't realise why. But that makes total sense if yeah, they were kind of in the same area for quite a long time. Yeah, mm. I mean, when when would they have moved? It would have been, it would have been late eighties, early nineties, or something. Would have moved. Mm-hmm. Well, they moved out of Shawfield because they were sharing at Far Hill for a while. Yeah. They were sharing at Far Hill in the late eighties. So they moved out of Shawfield, maybe 87 or something. Yeah. But um, when they went to Cumbernauld, I don't know, maybe early 90s. Mm. So, so so back, I mean, back in the, the heyday, sort of six, you know, 50s, 60s, you would have had Hamden, you'd have had um, Third Lanark, Cathkin Park, you would have had mm. Shawfield, um, all within, you know, a short distance of each other. Any other grounds in, in that bit? I mean... Little. Pollock, obviously, in the, the, yeah. junior, the juniors. Yeah, so so the, the, there was quite a few in there, and um, the Little Hamden as well was, would have been there. Was there a reason why they went to Cumbernauld? Was it just because it was cheaper, or because there was like a ready fan base, or? Couldn't he say to be honest? No. Uh, I don't. I don't think it was. It was a fan base. I think they've had to work to try and build up a, a local fan base. I mm. couldn't he say it's pr- probably something to do with. Being able to build a ground hmm. somewhere, you know. Yeah. yeah. We'll, we'll endeavour to find out. Episode. <laughs> hear Tom typing. <laughs> um, so in the bottom right-hand corner here, there's a there's a coupon that says "To my news agent." So Match have included a coupon on the page that you can fill in with your name and address and give to your news agent as a way of reserving or delivering the magazine each week. So that's a nice wee thing they've done just to make it easier for you to. To get the magazine so Liverpool on the opposite side of the page is there's another advert and it's Liverpool FC Kings of Europe the sort of things it's selling there's pale I love I love that description pale yellow t-shirts you know it sort of suggests that it's you know been worn out by the sun a little bit yeah, we're selling these pale yellow t-shirts um, £4.35 which isn't cheap Pennants, scarves, a large flag for two pound eighty, and a smaller flag for two pound twenty. I mean, how much a difference in the size can there be for a sixty pence difference? I wonder. I love how also it's like written descriptions yeah. of clothes and color, like pale yellow t-shirt. They're not paying to show you that pale yellow t-shirt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Please state chest size as well, and they probably <laughs> only. They would, that that was a thing we we football kits and stuff back in those days they didn't cater for the the larger man did they probably about 36 was about as large as it went was there any sort of chance of getting 
because I saw there's an advert later on for like home and away strips mm-hmm. of teams, but there was only maybe like 20 teams out of the whole of the UK. So was it quite difficult to get like strips from abroad and the, like international I mean, strips? Yeah, I mean, there, there certainly were adverts throughout the magazines throughout the different years that catered for things like, so I, I can think of one off the top of my head where it was like so the Santos um, kit and the North American club. So it sort of was focused on the Americas, the mm-hmm. kits from them there. So there were places you could, you could. in fact, that one was a sort of, it was touted as a warehouse thing or something like that. Maybe it was like seconds, which, you know, back then you'd be like, I'm not buying seconds, but I know collectors nowadays would be yeah. quite right. Give me all those. I like that pop-up in the Trongate. Yeah. I think it was there. Because it's just because I remember when I was young, it was you'd have to go to Greaves and the, the sort of big display case like they would have posters in other shops yeah. they would have a strip either side mm. and there would only maybe be about like 10 of teams that you'd never heard of but now you go into like most sports shops and they've got like a zenit top in it and yeah you sort of wonder who's buying them but they're so readily available it's quite good but kind of takes away some of the magic and mm. did you get anything from the pop-up uh no a mate of mine uh, was trying to get me to go but I didn't. I didn't manage to get into it, but I saw the the ones that were displayed in the window. It was quite. I don't know. It's pretty. It's amazing how like it's it's nostalgic. It's really cool seeing them. But then, when you spot how much they cost, it's. Yeah. Well, I just. I was I was going to go up, but people would put uh, on Twitter. We go in and then photograph, and it would be like 185 pounds for this. Yeah. I mean, I get it. Like, it's it's nice seeing them, but if you're yeah. like properly profiteering off it, and it's not as if it's like a strip that was worn by a player, so you shouldn't mm. be paying over 50 quid, in yeah. my opinion. Yeah, but, yeah no, you're right. Yeah. So is, is there anything else from this pay, these pages that um, anybody wants to pick out? I yeah, quite like well, the... Oh, sorry. Yeah. So on you go, Sandy. No, I just like, I quite like the fact that the bottom left of... Well, across from where the uh, clipping for the newsagent is, mm-hmm. there's a little um, mention of the... the Forgot to include Robbie Cook and his 34 league appearances for Cambridge United as it was inadvertently omitted from our club fact file series. Yeah, and I just wanted to bring that up because I feel that Robbie Cook deserves a little bit more <laughs> of a mention, seeing as he got left out. Yeah, just for Robbie. Well, that, that's the thing. I mean, the, we'll look at the fact the, the fact files a little bit later on. Those would have become, especially for the clubs involved, those would have become collectible, you know, and really important things. For, for the the people who you know collected these magazines, not only that, the the readers, not knowing any different, would have took those as facts, and you know I'm I'm guessing there would have been another player in there. So if they're up for a pub quiz in years to come, who was the top scorer for um, Cambridge in 1983 season? They'll say ah it was blah blah blah. No, it was um, it was Robbie Cook. Say no, it wasn't. It? And fights could happen from that. So you're quite right to highlight this. This is dangerous as far as I'm concerned. We don't want somebody written out of history, you know. <laughs> he, could, he could have been like a legend in his time, but we'd never know because he was omitted. But this brings me back to, in, in the football cards that I've got, there's um, in this 1977 English set, there is a John Wark card at Ipswich Town, but it's not John Wark who's on the card. Everything else is John Wark, the back, the name and stuff. And... Back years ago, we tried to find out who it was, and it turns out it was a guy called John Pedalty. 
And so it was like, I felt a bit sad. More for John Pedalty because John Warks had numerous other cards throughout his, his career, career. I remember I mean, his, his uh, Ipswich card when he was like in his last season there. That's like one of the first ones I got. Yeah. Well, the, the, yeah. So John Pedalty's had other cards as well, but not as many right. as um, as uh, John Mark. But I just felt a wee bit sad that there's a card with John Pedalty on it, and it's it's not for him. In the same way that maybe for John Mark, it's like that was my card. In the same way, Tom, as you know, Scottish Cup semi final, Clydebank yes. versus Celtic. There's a big article in Kennedy, and there's two pictures of who's meant to be Kennedy, but it's not Kennedy. Which was must have been an absolute, but well, was because he said it. it was it's a, like I, I, the only time I've ever done the stand uh, comedy club at a weekend. So my picture's on the website, but it's uh, Paul McDaniel instead of me. <laughs> so I, I feel Robin's pain yeah. and Pedalty's pain. Is that, is that a haircut mix-up? I, I really don't know what it was. It just kind of felt like a bit of a screw you to me <laughs> but sorry I like Paul so his moment in the sun is fine I'm alright with it I'm not bitter okay. uh, yeah I was just going to point out that um, did, did you know because uh, I, lo- I looked it up so uh, it's uh, did you know no other club among the whole 91 has gone as long as Nottingham Forest without conceding a hat trick the last player to achieve it was Mel, Mel Machen for Norwich City in October 1974 so I looked up when Someone did score a hat-trick after that against Nottingham Forest, and it wasn't long. It was Saturday the 13th of October 1984. Gary mm. Thompson scored a hat-trick for West Bromwich Albion in a 4-1 win yeah. over Forest at the Hawthorns. So it's probably put put the seed of thought yeah. into, you know, reading this, you know, I think I'll go and score a hat-trick this season. <laughs> Excellent. So we'll move on to page seven. This uh, is, a, this is the, the meat of the magazine now. Yeah, yeah. So this is... Um, well, page six, sorry. We'll move on to page six first. Who's your dishiest player is the, the title. And um, it says, who's the footballer you would most like to spend 90 minutes with? That's the question we're putting for soccer's growing band of female fans. Match are asking readers to write to them to tell them who's the dishiest footballer and why. And they will publish a selection of the best. This could turn into readers' wives section or something. <laughs> a reward will be a photograph of the player in question with an autograph if possible. And they go on to say, is it the boyish good looks of Villa's Gary Shaw or Chelsea's Kerry Dixon? Is it the rippling muscles of Peter Shelton or that trendy Scott Charlie Nicholas that sends shivers down your spine? Maybe Brian Robson's sexy knees or Glenn Hoddle's athletic frame turn you on. The shy charm of Watford's Mo Johnson or the blonde locks of Liverpool's Paul Walsh. What are we reading here? Honestly. It's... I quite like how the who's your dishes footballer player dot 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 and why is like in capitals and <laughs> exclamation mark. Like... Explain yourself! Yeah. <laughs> oh, dearie me. That's just, again, it's a bit uncomfortable. They've got a, a drawing... We'll need to ask Paul Tavellian if he drew this and how much money he, he had to get to, to draw that. So there's a drawing of uh, Glenn Hoddle and he's got a, a love heart in his background and there's an arrow through it and it's just all cliched stuff. And There's a photograph of Gary Shaw and it says, Dishy, Gary Shaw, question mark. Same he for looks Kenny like Dixon. Jeanette Cranky, isn't Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. of the wee England cap he's got. Yeah, I mean, if, if I'm being perfectly honest, they've picked out a couple of you know, good looking boys. Well, I was going to say dishy boys. <laughs> so, 
You know, they, they, they've picked out a couple of the, the better-looking ones from from the period. The, the the Peter Shelton thing I get as well, because Peter Shelton was always really well-built and stuff like that, and he was actually more muscly and well-built than... He's probably suited more to today's game in the way that they look. You know, he would get away with those tight tops that they wear. It's, it's and as you mentioned earlier, it's the the short shorts. Like even Ray Wilkins could look a bit of a hunk with the short <laughs> shorts on. Right. I quite like the fact that they've gone through and given quite a lot of examples. Yeah, but they're all quite different as well. It's not like they've gone for like five players that are all kind of the same. They've mm. gone for would yeah. you like the sort of the shyness of Mo Johnson or like the the long locks of Paul Walsh. It's want, kind of like the way that smash hits might make yeah. you figure out your favourite member of a boy band. I want to see the Venn diagram where it's the ones who like Brian Robson's sexy knees. And it's like, what sort of group that is? I don't care too much for his face, but his knees are... The only one I didn't mention was um, Russell Osman is in there and says, some might go for the good looks of Whipswitch Town's Russell Osman. And I thought, nah, man, they're, they're not selling them up enough there. So, no. yeah. That's what that is. Who's your dishes player? I kind of player? feel bad for John Wark not getting a look in. Like he's quite a striking man, or something yeah. like Graham Souness. He's probably got a lot of like intensity that the growing band of female fans in the eighties might have liked. I'm guessing are you a moustache man then. Give me your two <laughs> examples there. I'm just, I kind of feel a hypocrite going for a, a shaven-faced man, given that I'm quite her shoot myself. Yeah. So, yeah, or or that guy. What was his chops on the front page? The Chelsea player. Oh, Mickey Droy. Oh, Mickey Droy, yeah. Like, well, something like that. Show him a bit of love. Well, he's on the next page. Um, right. You can, he's actually, he's, he's got the facial hair as well and a big um, sweat stain right all the way down. So, yeah. Ticks all the boxes. Mm-hmm. So, at this point, should we do a focus on, Tom? Yeah, let's go. Yeah. Um, so, what, what we'll do, so you, you, you'll be aware of the focus on um, sections he got. So, they would get a footballer and they would just ask him a set of questions, and he'd reply to it. So we've got a, a bunch of questions. I'm just going to throw them out to you, and you can you can let me know. Full name? Alexander Gordon Butel, a.k.a. Sandy. Birthplace? Emil Guy. Okay. First car? Um, a Renault Clio. Yeah, old one. A fa- your favourite player of all time? Of all time? Um... It may be Batistuta. I'm going to say Batistuta. Brilliant shout. Brilliant shout. Favourite team? Uh, growing up, it was Rangers. Okay. Most memorable match? Um, I, I might put down Chester v Wrexham. Right. Yeah, when yeah. I went down, it was it was eye-opening. <laughs> um, what's been your biggest thrill in your life? Uh, Football-related. Anything? Th- um... I don't know, I think it might, football related might be a good shout because okay. I remember at work somebody said that men don't cry and I, I was like, no, men do cry. And she asked me when was the last time I cried and I was like, all right, yeah, it was when I was watching highlights of the day that Man City won the league in the 93rd minute. Right. So that I think might be the most thrilling moment because it moved me to tears. It was right, okay, so it was tears of joy. You it was just QPR tears fan. of confusion, I think. I didn't really know what was going on. So <laughs> I love that. What's going on? I don't I, know pretty this. much. Like, it was the same with the Tottenham Man City game yeah. in the Champions League last season. I was sitting watching it in the pub and a mate of mine came in, I think it was 15 minutes late. 
I'm like, you've missed like four goals, and <laughs> well, you haven't. And he just looked at me, and you could see I was properly shell shocked as well. So, yeah. okay, it's a toss up. Let's say it's the Tottenham Man City game. We'll say that one. Right. Okay. What's your biggest disappointment? Um, probably not putting a shift in when I played for Roseville Juniors as a ten-year-old. I think, <laughs> as I said before, had I just realised that kicking is a good part of the game. Yeah. I could have made it. So. Okay. I'll say that is definitely a disappointment could have that done, I'm willing to share. Yeah, you could have done one of these for real yeah, on, yeah. in the Rosevale match day program. Yeah, what's the best country you visited? Um, got a lot of time for Berlin, so Germany. Okay, what's your favourite food? Um, I could probably say pizza. It's a bit basic, but and favourite toppings. Favourite toppings. Uh, uh, they're usually meaty. Uh, chicken and bacon. Mm-hmm. I say chicken and bacon. Nice. The barbecue base. Nice. I'm getting hungry. Uh, miscellaneous like, so give me two things that you like doing. Um, playing guitar. Mm-hmm. And I quite like. I've, I'm quite into um, RuPaul's Drag Race as well. I've I've found myself as a, a late blooming drag fan. Right. Okay. Um, miscellaneous dislikes so a couple of things that drive you up the wall um, oh, I don't know it's quite a lot to mint it's quite a lot um, <laughs> lately given the lockdown it's people going to the park and not actually exercising mm-hmm. so um, loitering that's a miscellaneous <laughs> hate I think at the moment Okay. any other ones or any other ones to... uh, rocket I really rocket. hate rocket okay that's the first time we've had Rocket, so nice. Yeah. Uh, what's your favourite TV show of all time? Of all time? Um, probably The Smell of Reeves and Mortimer, you know, Vic and Bob. Yep. Just loved it. Excellent. Favourite singers? Singers. Marquis Smith of The Fall. Okay. Um, I like singers that can't sing. Mm-hmm. So, like, Marquis Smith's great, and... Um, like Frank Black, the Pixies. Okay. I don't know. Do you know the band Eels? Yeah. It's a, They're that, really good. that sort of reminds me of that, Mark, Mark Everett. Um, yeah. They, they, Mister, is he mystery? Yeah. And yeah. He, he doesn't have a what you would consider a, a great voice, but it just sounds amazing. It just. Yeah, it's that. Uh, uh, yeah, it's a guy. I remember being on a train and talking to a guy about bands, and I was saying how, oh, yeah, I just, I, I like bands with singers that can't sing and he's mm-hmm. like he couldn't trust bands with singers that could sing really well because <laughs> he kind of felt they were showing off whereas <laughs> like I'm not a huge Eels fan but there's an album he wrote a song about his sister who yeah. like Elizabeth maybe, on the bathroom floor that yeah that one yeah and it's like he he's not singing well but he's totally getting across everything that that song means to him because mm-hmm. he's not trying to show off he's just trying to like deliver it yeah, the best way you can. So yeah, Eels are a good band too. Okay. Favorite actors? Um, Jack Nicholson is excellent, and um, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah, and uh, Daniel Day Lewis as well. He's okay. brilliant. Who's your best friend? My best friend, um, my mate PB. I've PB. known him since I was like thirteen. Um. Yeah, basically started bullying him at school because he looked like Elton John. 
<laughs> and then which period? Well, this is the thing. It was sort of like that period, Elton John, like Diana's funeral, Elton John. So not like <laughs> it wasn't rocking up in a baseball suit or dressed as Donald Duck. But um, yeah, it, it took me a few weeks to realise it's because I really liked him and I was jealous. Mm. So I just lay into him. But <laughs> pals to this day, PB, great. Who's been the biggest influence on you? Um, uh, oh, I don't know. I think maybe like the guys that created South Park. I know that's a bit of a weird one, but I just remember seeing a documentary about them when they were like making it big, and they said that oh yeah, we just sit about and like tell people what to animate, and then we go and play in a punk band and skateboard. <laughs> And it was like that's I want to live that life. That's <laughs> the ideal life. Yeah, not got there yet, but no. you know, one day. You got to have a dream. Got to have a dream. Which person in the world would you most like to meet? Um, I think maybe Armando Iannucci. I think he. I just have got a lot of time for him because he's kind of. You get a lot of Scottish comedians that go down to London and totally change. Mm. But he, his Scottishness has never faltered at all, and I kind of really respect him for that because the stuff he's produced is just amazing. Yeah, and people really respect him. So, and he's from Kirk and Tillich, I think. So, I'd quite like to meet somebody from Kirk and Tillich. <laughs> Excellent, good show. So that that's the end of these questions. So, thank you. You, you well, thank you. You didn't pass in any, so well done. I on tried. That. I tried my hardest not to. <laughs> Okay, so we'll delve back into the magazine, shall we? So we're on page seven. So this is Mickey's Chelsea Choker. So this is the Mickey Joy. I've got no future here, is uh, the title. And it says, Chelsea's Man Mountain, Mickey Joy, faced up to the heartbreak of leaving the club that has been his home for the past 14 years. He says, there's no time for sentiment. I've got to accept that there's no future for me at Chelsea and move on. Now, Joy hasn't played since the arrival of former Morton player Joe McLaughlin in the close season last year and could only watch from the sidelines as John Neal's men swept to the second division championship. So Joe McLaughlin is pictured with the text, the bargain buy from Morton who kept former skipper Mickey Joy out of the Chelsea side last season. So just a wee spoiler here, after a brief loan spell with Luton, Mickey Joy moved to Crystal Palace where he spent a couple of years before moving on to Brentford. As for Joe McLaughlin, he would stay at Chelsea until 1989, playing 220 league games before moving on to Charlton, Watford, Falkirk, Hibs, Clydebank and finishing up in St Mirren um, in 2000. So he played 87 league games for Falkirk, 18 for Hibs and 76 for Clydebank. What's your um, memories of Joe McLaughlin at Clydebank, Tom? At Clydebank? Yeah, no, I, 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 I liked him. I came in at the sort of Dying embers of uh, of of Clybank, uh, and also was one of the bigger names mm. at that time. I mean, Andy and I are both Clybank fans, uh, Sandy. Mm. Uh, so uh, at that time, there was a lot of sort of players who were effectively past it that were coming to Clybank. Yeah, uh, but I think he was he was one of the ones that sort of acquitted himself quite well. Mm. Well, the, 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 say seventy six league games, so you know you you know quite. As you say, there was a lot of players coming, stuff like that, and you'd get ones in one game, two games, three games, and that list is just huge. But 76 games then was a bit of an achievement for a Clydebank yeah. player, I guess. Was that around the time they were sponsored by Wet Wet Wet? No, that would have been, yeah. that would have been a few years afterwards. Oh, okay. Yeah, this is 2000. 
roundabout. Yeah, probably in 98, 99. It would yeah. have been. He was with Bank. He finished up at St Mirren in 2000 and he didn't play much there at all. So. Yeah, so at 93, sort of we were sponsored by Wet Wet Wet, sort of 93, yeah. 94, 95 kind of thing. Mm. See, that would probably fetch quite a bit of these vintage football pop-ups. Well, you've got them all, Andy, haven't you? I, there's, um, there's a couple I don't have. There's a purple one I don't have, and I think it might just be that. But um, yeah, I've, I've got quite a few of them. And I tell the story of, um, I went to see, cause I was a big Wet 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 fan and I went to see them a couple of years ago in Scarborough for the first time and um, I was wearing my Clyde Bank top and oh, I, was, nice. I was at the back of the front bit and stuff and my, my friend was there as well and she was wearing a Clyde Bank top as well and singing away we're all you know loving it drinking dancing stuff and then you know Marty would talk in between songs and stuff and at one point he's like is that are you wearing a Clyde Bank top and I'm like yeah <laughs> yeah He's like, are you from there? I went, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, just, I'm just, yeah, with my, my cider to everything he said. And then um, the, the bass player um, came over and said, that's Scotch footy cards, he does like panini stuff and all that. And I'm like, crazy, what's going on here? <laughs> so I was I was like just pure beaming from all that, you know, the fact that he, he noticed the, the wet, wet, wet top. And um, yeah, so I've, I've, I've got at least one still to get. Um, possibly two, Tom, but fingers crossed. Have you got like an upper limit of what you would spend on getting that top? Oh, the, yeah, the, no, the, the wet, wet, wet top is nowhere near my my dream top. The the dream top for me is the around about the late seventies Clybank Umbro strip. It's a white white strip, Umbro diamonds down the arm, and it's got a black black and red. In fact, Clybank, I've got the. Their, their kit last season, their home kit last season was a throwback to that and it's black mm. and red stripe just doing one side and it is it's beautiful I mean you, <laughs> you'd wear it you'd wear it out in the in the dance hall these days and I said dance hall <laughs> deliberately nice. um, but yeah I, I probably wouldn't spend anywhere on 50 quid on a wet 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 wet, wet top I struggle mm. with that so bad I, I'm never sure that I see enough wets but the 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 Clay Bank one, the other one, I would I'd pay a, a bit more for that. Right. Yeah. That's a very sort of diplomatic answer. I like yeah. that, just in case somebody's watching. <laughs> well, I, I know one person in particular, so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he's he's got one. But um, it's yeah, it's we'll we'll, we'll leave that bit out. <laughs> <laughs> but um, on so on the page here, you can see Mickey Joy here, and you can sort of get a sense of how big the guy was. Um, he's. I mean, he's just. He's a solid guy. I think he's actually only about six foot four. Or so. I say only six foot four. <laughs> six foot four, five at a push. But he just looks absolutely enormous. To he to, looks a little bit like Jaws from James Bond. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I can see that actually. Yeah. Don't let him hear me call him that because he looks like he could handle himself you got to think he must he must have been well liked by the fans of the club he went he went for you know mm-hmm. you can imagine he would be a fan's favourite yeah absolutely. guy like that so we're going to jump on a couple of pages pages 10 and 11 so if there's anything you want to talk about in the pages that I missed then just let me know but we're going to pop so this is an advert for Adidas um, or Adidas I'm just going to keep calling them Adidas because that's what I've always called them so this, this is, um, Adidas have pushed the boat out here with a, a double page spread. And most of the advert is taken up by the photo of a goalkeeper in goal, 
camera's facing down the keeper head on. And the keeper's generally kitted out in a football kit, but he's also wearing what looks like ice hockey gear. So there's, he's wearing leg pads, shoulder pads, head protection, and big hand pads is the, the best description for those. Um, the text above him reads, The new Adidas Profi. It could make a big impact on the game. And at the bottom of the same photo is a picture of the new boot, and it's a classic Adidas style. So the, the, main, the only real difference I can see is that there's a bit of white piping that goes in the same shape as the heel, the heel bit. Other than that, it just looks like a, a your classic World Cup. Maybe the, the design on the on the tongue is a little bit different. I mean, I'm sure there's all technic, technical things and, you know, scientific things that, about it that makes it... No, no, that, that's, don't, don't be daft, son. That's completely different from a World Cup boot. Um, but it certainly looks like a World Cup boot. The, the sole looks the same as well. Screw and studs, it's even got the same sort of different red and white bits in the sole, if you you know what those are. So, there's a big bit of text with this as well, which goes into detail about it, and um, I'll pick a few of the things out. Uh, the sole actually retracts like a spring, and when it recoils, it unleashes considerable extra power in your shot. <laughs> that sounds like a weapon. So you get extra extra power in the short sprints. Now they also mention the flexible kangaroo upper leather and the cushioned insole. And it says, so you'll feel comfortable right through the game, which is more than you can say for the keeper in the picture. Ah, so there's the reference to the keeper. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of information in there. You don't often see that much. It's almost like one of these info, infomercial things sort of things, isn't it? It's, there's a lot of information in there. But just, from that drawing, it looks like whoever's wearing that is wearing it with foot socks. <laughs> yeah. Hipster. I'd never even noticed that. that. That that's how comfortable they are, Tom. That's how comfortable they are. It's just <laughs> them at the beach. Yeah, unless they're wearing um, tan coloured socks or something. But I just I just love that. I'm going to say it again. The soul actually the soul actually retracts like a spring, and when it recoils, it unleashes considerable extra power in your shot. I that's think it. I don't really understand how you can. I mean, I'm sure you could back up with scientific proof, but the idea of a shoe being Ten percent better than the last time. Like, I'm just, like I got it when like the Predator came out, and there was a a documentary about how that was made, and yeah. it, like there's actual like physics and stuff that was involved in making that better. But unless you're just sort of making it look nicer, I don't really see how you can develop these boots, especially in the eighties, to be ten percent better than the last ones. Hmm. Yeah, I I don't know how they could back up as well. For for me, a lot of it sounds equivalent of the active lipidomes and you know things like that that they they try and science up adverts i'm sure i'm listen i'm sure a lot of thought and effort went into it but they are damn damn nice boots as well what i don't really care for is the the sort of tagline the new adidas profi it could make a big impact on the game like mm. surely you want to say it will make a big impact mm. on the game yeah it could well unless they're saying well if if we if we sell it enough here and big it up enough, the impact in the game is that goalkeepers are going to have to start wearing that gear. And so that could be the impact that they're... It's true. I quite like the fact that it's not colour-coordinated safety gear either. <laughs> he's just... Yeah. He's found it in the back of his cupboard. I'm just actually... You know, I'm just actually, for the first time, looking at the crowd. And there's a lot of them that aren't even paying attention to what's going on. So if you look just to the left of the keeper, 
They're all looking away. Some of them are facing a completely different direction. And very few of the, the crowd there are actually looking at the action. I mean, they well, look, I think they it's look miraculous bored. there's just nobody waving at the camera in that <laughs> big crowd. Yeah, they look bored to me. They do. Yeah. So, okay, on to pages 12 and 14. I'm going to leave this for Tom. So this is 12, 13 and 14, and it's canon. And it's, it's a cartoon section, which I'm not that fussed about. But I You're know Tom's a fan. Of the cartoons, although, yeah. although this isn't one of those kind of jokey cartoons. Eh? This is a, a serial strip. Are you, are you a comics guy, Sandy? Um, not as much as I should be. Like I've got friends that tell me I should have got into it a lot more. But yeah, I, I, I'm aware of the merits of comic books. Because <laughs> uh, Canon is uh, drawn by a guy called Ron Tyner. And uh, he also he worked on Hellblazer for DC Comics, as well as um, drawing things like uh, Battle, uh, the sort of, um, War magazine. Uh, and he's also done stuff for The Guardian and The Observer and The Financial Times. And uh, has written a lot of... Um, Figure drawing without a model in the Encyclopedia of Fantasy and Science Fiction Art Techniques uh, as well. So he's actually quite a well-revered uh, guy in, 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 in comics. Uh, but, I mean, some, some of the drawings are quite sort of uh, intricate, and it's also the, the went for that. New sponsorship's a big thing. You'll see that the, the, the sponsor's logo, Cosmic Holidays, is a big thing in the, a big thing in the strips. So I, I do remember Canon from getting match at the, at the time. But I couldn't really tell you much about the about the storylines. But I do, I do remember it being I do remember it being in there. Do you know the, the I'll, I'll tell you my thoughts on that. I've never read them because whenever I've seen that can in the style of the canon at the top as well, I sort of just I've always assumed that it's a bit of an advert for canon mm-hmm. photography thing, oh, but they yeah. turn it into a, a a cartoon, and you know, so that that's probably what's sort of driven me away from it a bit because I think that canon is in that sort of style okay it's yeah. a double N there as well but the other thing I've noticed and not just in this one is I don't know if this this guy you know with the moustache is a regular but he's there's certainly a, a bit of soonness about him mm-hmm. <laughs> it's certainly on the on the third page but the there's a there's a guy he's talking to he's got a bit of sort of Ron Atkinson about him as well Um, I don't, I don't know if that ties in with the with the nature of those those people within it, but certainly there's a, there's a lot of soonest, you know, in his look. Maybe, you know, maybe the Ron Atkinson is just in that one that one um, scene there. But yeah, see when I was, sorry, see when I was like initially skimming uh, skimming skimming through <laughs> uh, the ma- magazine, I just assumed this was Roy the Rovers because you've got Jack Taggart, I think is the name. Mm-hmm. It just looks like Roy the Rovers, and it, is yeah. there is it not quite difficult for a sort of football comic strip to deviate from Roy the Rovers? Is that not quite a hard thing? I mean, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think I think you're right. I mean, certainly Roy the Rovers is the is the one that you you hold everything up against, isn't it? You're going to compare it against it, and I mean, I, I think I think you're right. I mean, I think in my head that's why. It maybe answers a lot, Tom, about my not being able to really connect with mm-hmm. a lot of cartoon stuff and that is because it's not it's not really the rovers. Is there anything else from that, Tom? Or can we No, we can we can we can move on. Nothing nothing really stands out in it. Right. To to be fair. And it's all it's a page of football 
uh, action, and then there's a lot of board, some boardroom drama mm. going on, and then uh, well, I, there's a lot of eye work going on as well, isn't there? A lot of sort of you know squinting the eyes and stuff like that, moody yeah. things. You made man's left with a dilemma at the end whether to stay at Stanton or to move to Howard Kendall's Everton. Jack makes his choice next week. Yeah. To possibly replace Alan Irvin. So on to the next page, page 15 we're at. So this is Dundee United give Billy a Scotland lifeline. Thompson's twin joy is ahead. So Billy Thompson told this week how he feared for his future as Scotland number two goalkeeper after facing the prospect of reserve team football at Mirren next season following a row with manager Alex Miller. He's currently operating on a weekly contract and is unlikely to be reinstated as first-team keeper at the Buddies while that's the case. An out-of-the-blue phone call from Dundee United boss Jim McLean has come to his rescue, which resulted in a £75,000 transfer and may have come just in time to prevent him from being axed from Scotland's early World Cup plans. And Thompson says, As the weeks went by, I became more and more worried about the situation with no sign of any clubs making an official move. There was lots of rumours, but nothing concrete. And Billy's happy six-year spell at Paisley was only served towards the end of last season when he was dropped for the last five games. And he says, I don't really know why I was left out. It was nothing to do with my form, but probably due in the main to a clash of personalities with the manager. Now, after a car dash to Dundee, he accepted a five-year contract within a matter of hours. Sounds a bit sort of desperate, doesn't it? Um, he says, I, I know a little about Jim McLean's ability and attitude, having been involved with him on international duty. He's very professional in his outlook, and I'm looking forward to the challenge of playing for him. He's a hard man to please, but that doesn't worry me so long as I'm doing the job. I'm just happy to get away and start afresh. And his arrival at Tanadice could mean the end of the road for 36-year-old veteran keeper Hamish McAlpine. And both goalkeepers are pictured in the article so just as a wee spoiler Thompson would start the season for United but McAlpine would reclaim his place pretty quickly and would still be the number one for the next season also when he would go on to win the the Scottish Football Writers Association Player of the Year in 1985 so it didn't work out the way Billy thought, probably as you would imagine thinking as a 36 year old keeper there if I come in you know, they're spending £75,000. They're not going to spend that on somebody as a, as a backup goalkeeper. But turns out, Hamish still had a couple of years left in him, so he, he never really got to claim that jersey as his own. So he went to Rangers. Did you yeah. ever see him? And we talked about this, I think. He only played he only played um, a handful of games for, for Rangers. Um, one of them being, that I remember, was against Juventus in the Champions League. and then It was 4-0, if I remember. I couldn't remember the, the result the last time we spoke. But I think it was 4-0 at Ibrox. Juventus absolutely hammered Rangers that night. To be fair to Billy Thompson, he couldn't really do much about those goals. So, Did he not play in an old firm? I think, am I remembering that correctly? I don't know. I, 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 don't, I don't think he played that many league games at all for Rangers. Um, I don't know if you can have a quick check in that, Tom. Uh, he, played for, he played six league games for Rangers. Yeah. And he played two for Claybank. If you remember him at Claybank, he had a wee loan spell uh, at Claybank. And w- one of the games he played was a, a great 4 3 win over Airdrie at uh, Broomfield. Yeah. He was in goal for that one. So we'll move on to page 16. 
Well, the only thing I was going to point out there was the the way that they've uh, they've crowbarred in this sort of topical headline. Uh, Dundee United give Billy a Scotland lifeline. Thompson's twin Thompson. joy. Yeah. Obviously, the Thompson twins would have been a popular band of the era. Yeah. And they've they've, they've managed to, even though the twins are a bit tenuous, but. Yeah, it's it's up there with the twenties plenty, isn't it? The Thompson's twin. Yeah. Spot on. Page sixteen. Uh, Robert Watts Scottish scene. So this this was a regular in match. It was. I mean, we've already been through. It's quite a, been quite a a decent amount of Scottish content so far. But this was a page where it was wall to wall Scottish stuff. So we'll have a look through them. First one is round the world Rangers on the title warpath. So new Rangers striker Ian Ferguson, who cost two hundred thousand pounds from Dundee. This week refuted the suggestion that the club's round-the-world close-season tour was no more than a public relations exercise for the Red Cross. The tour saw five players seriously injured, but Ferguson, who was 21, rated the trip as a resounding success. And he believes that the tour can be the springboard to the Ibrox side, launching a major assault on all honours in the new season. He says, When you're eating, living and travelling together, it builds up team spirit. And when we were hit by the injury problems, it served only to make us a tighter unit as we fought to shrug off the jinx label which critics stuck on the tour. There can't be many better ways of getting to know your teammates than going off on tour for five weeks. And Ferguson has been happy with how the tour has been for him personally, embedding into the team. I'm confident I can do a good job for Rangers, as another one who says the obvious. Much will depend on how he links up with Alan McCoyst and Ian Redford and the service from enigmatic winger David Cooper, who's pictured, and classy midfielder Bobby Russell. And he says, there's an air of confidence about the squad and we're all convinced that this can be a big season for us. Now, just the, the quote that springs into mind there is, there's a buzz about the place. That's That seems to be that the famous Paul McStay um, quote seems to be what's required here. So a spoiler, um, Rangers would finish fourth this season, 21 points behind champions Aberdeen. you got to remember that's two points for a win at this, this stage. But they would win the League Cup that season. I never really, I think there was um, a couple of breaks or something like that. I don't really know to the degree that, I think they said five injuries, serious injuries, which, you know, it's quite a lot to go on. But I think in the, the article as well, the first thing when, when he says that it was, a, it was a good tour, I think he said, and the first thing I thought when I read that was, yeah, well, you never got injured. And then I read in the article, and I think they say the same thing as well. He said, well, it turns out you never actually got injured. So, And he says, and not just because he escaped without any broken bones. 1984-85 season, not the best for Rangers. But a few, the enigmatic winger, I mean, enigmatics one of those football things it's said for and it's always wingers isn't it it's enigmatic but, but okay. I mean, what does it mean by that I don't really understand how David Cooper was enigmatic I, I mean I, I think what they're basically saying is inconsistent maybe yeah, Br- well brilliantly well. inconsistent yeah and yeah. yeah. from the next yeah. so when he plays he's, he's brilliant but other times he can and you know I've, I've seen it about so many um, players as well and I, I mean I understand the sentiment behind it it's just one of those um, football um, phrases, isn't it? So the next one is on Andy Ritchie. So top right-hand corner, and it says, Scotland's former Player of the Year, Andy Ritchie, has been appointed player coach of Albion Rovers. The ex-Celtic Morton and Motherwell star will initially run the club 
in Coatbridge in partnership with two directors, but if he gets the desired results, he could be in complete control early in the new term. As a spoiler, his player-coach role didn't advance past 1985 and he retired from the game just aged 28. So I don't think it worked out. It's a very young age to retire, isn't it? 28 years old. Yeah. Immigration to Australia. So Falkirk's defender, Brian Brown's shock decision to emigrate to Australia saw manager Billy Lamont leap into the transfer market to sign centre-half Jim Dempsey on a free from Clyde. So Brown played for Brunswick Juventus in Australia between 84 and 88, establishing himself as one of the top defenders in the league. They were crowned Australian champions in 1985. He went on to manage Blacktown City, Marconi Stallions, Sutherland Sharks, Bonnyrigg White Eagles, and he's managing them at the moment, so he was from there 2009 to present. Since 1999, he's amassed 400 games as a coach in the, the NSW Premier League. His teams have featured in 10 grand finals and been minor premiers eight times. He's regarded as one of the best coaches ever involved in the competition and has been voted the league's coach of the year a record six times. Now, when I read that little snippet there, two, four, six, seven lines, I didn't think it was going to take me to one of Australia's greatest managers really <laughs> so Brian Brown not a name I know but it's certainly a name I know now so certainly the move down to Australia has worked out well for him it's quite good that he's done that and made a success of it because everyone else seems to just go there in the last year of their career just to have a bit of a holiday with it and mm. it's good that he's actively made that his, his life and done really well with it yeah yeah, well done, Brian. Um, so the the player who replaced him, Jim Dempsey, so he played for Falkirk until 1988 before moving to Partick Thistle and then on to Dumbarton, Stirling Albion and Alloa. Falkirk would finish third in the league this season, just outside the promotion spots, but they would be promoted in second spot the following year to the Premier Division. So they lost Brian Brown, but bringing in Jim Dempsey has certainly helped um, over the next couple of seasons to get him back into the Premier League. So, you know, a nice wee bit of information there um, from just such a little bit of an article. So mm-hmm. next next one is Ricky McFarlane may hold key. And this is former St Mirren manager Ricky McFarlane may hold the key to the Queen of the South's goal power. A qualified physiotherapist, he's currently treating Palmerston goal ace Jimmy Robertson for a knee ligament problem. The good news is that he's confident the player will be in tip-top condition when the new season kicks off next month. So I had a wee look at um, Jimmy's stats. So he started at Motherwell, moved to Stranra, moved to Queen of the South, um, where he had a, a seven-year spell there, moved to Morton, a short spell at Clyde Bank. Seems as though everybody's playing for Clyde Bank, Tom. Yeah. Um, and then finished his career at Queen of the South again. When he was first spell at Queen of South between 1980 and 1987, he played 250 league games, scoring 62 goals. So he's obviously, the fact that he's played up to 87, he's obviously came back from his um, injury problems there. Now he made, over the two two spells, he made 400 appearances for Queen's and is the seventh highest in the club's record appearances list and scored a total of 89 goals. So I think he's um, very well remembered there. So next one, Clark won't lash out. So this is the bottom. This is the one I sort of mentioned a bit earlier. 
Cowdenbeath manager John Clark is hit out of the transfer fees being demanded by some clubs as he strives to put his Central Park club together for the big kickoff. John says, Money is scarce, we all know that, but it would be a lot scarcer if one or two clubs had their way. I approached two second division clubs about players and the figures quoted were 20,000 and 10,000. How on earth can they justify asking a modest club like Cowdenbeath for that sort of money? Even if I was still with Celtic, I would not have parted with those amounts. I mean, I get, I get it a bit. I get his frustration, but if if you've got a good player and he's worth twenty grand, he's worth twenty grand to Cowdenbeath, or he's worth twenty grand to another club, isn't he? So, you know, don't really agree with him all the time in that. Next one, McLean gives Motherwell a ring of confidence. It says the McLean brothers certainly believe in keeping things in the family. Tommy McLean turned his back on the temptation of the Premier Division after leaving newly promoted Morton for Motherwell, a team previously managed by his brother Willie. And who succeeded Tommy as manager at Morton? None other than his brother Willie. Um, He says, There's tremendous potential at Motherwell. The club has a big sleeping giant support and I intend to bring those fans back through the turnstiles. I am greedy for success and I believe the fans feel the same. So that gives me a good basis to start working on. As for the players, as far as the players are concerned, I'm not interested in losers. Any who are inclined to feel sorry for themselves will be replaced. Um, just a spoiler on that. So Motherwell, Motherwell were promoted with champ, as champions with Clyde Bank in the second place that season. Again, is the the changes um, the changes worked out well for Motherwell there and for for Tommy McLean's. Uh, I think that's the lot from that page. Um, we'll move on to pages 17 and 18. So this is the A to Z fixtures guide for the season. I just quick look through it. It says a list of fixtures for each team. This week, its teams begin with B and C. And there is a, a space to fill in your own results as prompted by match. Nothing really too much to talk about there. Just a list of fixtures for the teams. Pages 20 and 21. Um, this is a, a centre spread. And it's Oleg Blokin of Russia and Graham Roberts of England. It's a full-colour, two-page spread of the international action between the two players. Uh, Roberts has Blokin's wrist and is trying to pull him away from the ball, which is a might have dealt with. It's, it's that sort of... Um, you know, I'm, not, I'm not holding him, ref. I'm not holding him. But he's quite clearly holding him. Uh, the Russia kit is Adidas. Oh, I've done it, didn't I? Adidas. <laughs> the Russia kit is Adidas. With pinstripes, so it's a red shirt with white pinstripes and a white V collar. The shirt has CCCP across the front as well. Interestingly, as in red on the white cuffs as well, it's got CCCP there as well. The white shorts with the red Adidas stripes and red socks with white stripes as well. Just your classic Adidas um, style. Um, the England top is umbro, so it's white top, blue shorts and white socks with blue and red umbro diamonds around the top. Yeah, it's a pretty nondescript England top, if I'm, if I'm my opinion there. So just on blocking, he would have been playing with Dynamo Kiev at this stage, a club he played for for 18 years and holds a club appearances record of 582 in all competitions. He played 112 times for the Soviet Union. He won the Soviet League eight times, the Soviet Cup five times the USSR Super Cup three times, European Cup Winners' Cup twice, and the UEFA Super Cup once. That's a pretty good CV he's got there. Um, um, he didn't have a spell at Claybank. 
still yeah. time. Yeah, that's a, the the problem is we do have to point that out whenever somebody doesn't. Do you want to jump onto pages twenty five? Well, before we go on, can yep. we, we just jump into uh, ask uh, Sandy about his? Uh, just going to ask you, uh, Sandy about your uh, about your stand up. Obviously, the, the lockdowns kind of brought live performances kind of to a, to a halt. D- did you have a, a Glasgow Comedy Festival show that get, had to get? Cancelled. I did, but you know, weirdly, it kind of it worked in my favour because, like, I'd, I'd not been as prolific as I have been in the past. Um, so not done a lot of gigs in the run up to it. So it was kind of panic, panic, right. panicking quite a lot about the uh, impending show. I'm not. Sug- I would have done it, and I would have yeah, been yeah. really fun, but I wouldn't have been as prepared as I'd have liked to have been. So this. And the... were you intended to go to Edinburgh? No, I mean, um, no, I'm not. I've I've done Edinburgh a couple of times, like bits and bobs, rather than a full run. But um, even those bits and bobs were just too much for me. I think like I need to have something absolutely like concrete in place before going through to Edinburgh properly, because I've just seen too many people broken by it, and I know I'm quite <laughs> a weak person, so it'd be quite susceptible to it but um yeah we're going to be doing stuff uh the state bar right. uh, for the comedy festival there's a a collective called chunks, chunks that i yeah. take part of sometimes and they do a thing called chunkstable so um basically everybody on at the state bar is kind of alternative comedy and they've come up from london sometimes and like manchester and stuff so it's always been really good, so it was a bit annoying that that didn't get to take place. Um, right. So, yeah, it was a bit, it was, there was a show lined up, but didn't get to. Hmm. And and how are you finding this lockdown situation in terms of your comedy? Are you are you um, writing more, or are you you know are you, are you able to performance? I know I know there's a lot of these video shows cropping up here and here and there. Yeah, it's the thing. It's like. Um, I definitely would see this more as a time for writing than yeah. trying to fit the performing in. Because even though it's kind of multimedia, like PowerPoint and animation stuff, um, there's there's just something better about doing it in front of people that you can actually see reacting. And yeah. cause I've seen a few people doing uh, like live stand-up during lockdown, and no offence to them, but it's just not as... I mean, un- understandably not as good as it could be, and it's making yeah. the best out of a bad situation. Because, I mean, I've never been able, I've, been, I've never made money from stand up. So if it's somebody's livelihood, then sure. fair play to them for trying to get like a, a means of getting income. But if you're like I am, just sort of not even semi professional, like there's sometimes not a requirement to do. Yeah, yeah, shows and stuff because like there was a lot of people going, "Oh my, my comedy show has been cancelled, but I'll do it on Facebook Live. Don't worry, and get <laughs> twenty people tuning in." And yeah, yeah. It, it's a good outlet, but I'm seeing this as a nice sort of time to get away from the stresses of the live comedy <laughs> scene. So, yeah, is it is it are you writing? Is it working that way for you? Um, I, I've I've found that like so I, I like to do sort of. Uh, comedy like comedy songs as well if I'm doing like an hour long if I'm doing 10 minutes I won't be doing as many songs but I found that I've been able to focus more time on that side of things mm. um, and little bits have been coming for what could be a routine but um, I'd written a new show 
for the Glasgow Comedy Festival, but I haven't looked at it since lockdown began because mm-hmm. I was spending so much time with it. So it may be quite good to go back and see yeah. uh, what had been made and then try and develop that for when lockdown lifts. Yeah. So, um, yeah, just sort of using it as a bit of a rest and relaxation period. <laughs> Definitely. Recharging the batteries. Definitely. Okay, shall we jump back in then, Tom? Yeah, sure. Um, so we're on pages 25 and 26, and this is the club fact files that we spoke about. So this is a supplement that is meant to be cut out, so you can see there's a, a black dotted line at the side there, and collated together from other weeks. This week's fact file starts at A, and is for Scottish teams. The interesting thing, they don't give the full names of the teams, and I don't know why. They could just make the font a little bit smaller, or put it over two lines, But so they put Albion instead of Albion Rovers, Alloa instead of Athletic. A broth is fine. They just put Air, instead of United. Berwick, Brecon, Celtic, Clyde, Clydebank, Cowdenbeath, Dumbarton, Dundee, Dundee U, Dunfermline. No, actually it says Dunfermline. Did anybody notice that? No. Yeah, so it actually says Dum, D-U-M, Fermline, which I didn't notice first time either. So it was only in the second look through it that I thought, that actually says Dum, Fermline. He's Fife and he's Sterling. So each of the, the teams has a club or cre- club crest or badge and some facts, including items like manager, division points, position, goals for, against, biggest win, biggest defeat, top scorers in the different competitions, penalty king, hat tricks and average home game. So it, and presumably this is from the, pre- the previous season. It also gives, for the average home game, it gives you an up or down from presumably again from the previous season to that. So a couple of things, the managers just for the different teams, so Clyde as we spoke about is Craig Brown, Brecon City, Ian Fleming, Celtics, David Hay, uh, Clyde Banks, Sam Henderson, Dundee's Archie Knox, Dunfermline is Jim Leishman and East Fife is Dave Clark, so just a few names to pick out there. The Clyde Bank, top scorer Tommy Coyne with 10 league goals, only 2-10, only 10, is that, does that sound right to you Tom? Yeah. Two hat-tricks? Two hat tricks and ten goals. That just seems a bit. So basically, mm. he scored six of those ten in two games. I'm, you know, I'm sure average home gate, eight hundred and twelve down, sixty six from the previous season. Mm. Um, Alloa Scottish Cup top scorer Stuart Munro, who you you'll know went on to play for Rangers this year actually. Albion Rovers, the lowest average gate of the teams featured, with three hundred and ninety seven being the average home game. And that's up 62 from the previous season. Go on, Albion. Um, Air United top scorer, Alan McAnally, with 16. East Five top scorer, Gordon Jury, with 16. And seven, pe- seven which are penalties. So a few names in there who obviously went on to bigger and better things. Pages 28 and 29, a couple of full-page photos. So the first one's Paul Hart of Nottingham Forest. So the classic pose is bending down, one knee, arms rested on the bent knee. Oh, for me, all that's missing from this is a ball in front of him. If yeah. I had that, that would be the full, that would be bingo of the, the, the classic pause. Um, Adidas, the forest kit. Wranglers is a sponsor. The pinstripes. Yeah, it's a good forest shot, that. Yeah, it's a belter, yeah. Uh, white cuffs, three stripes in the arms, white shorts and red socks. Absolutely timeless. Paul played at Stockport, Blackpool, Leeds United before Forest. Wednesday after that, Birmingham City where they only played one game in Notts County. He also managed at clubs including Chesterfield, Nottingham Forest and Barnsley. I, I remember him well from his um, managing days as well. 
So on to the next page, Kenny Sansom, Arsenal and England. Again, it's a full page colour photo and Kenny's in action for Arsenal. And it's it's quite a shiny yellow umbro kit with two-tone stripes. Um, and it lo looks like JVC's a sponsor, but it's difficult to see for sure, but I'm, I'm, I'd put money on that. Blue shorts and yellow socks. Now, Kenny is England's second most capped fullback with 86 international appearances. He played for Crystal Palace, Arsenal, Newcastle United, QPR and Coventry. And he won the second division with Palace, the League Cup with Arsenal and the British Home Internationals twice with England in 81, 82 and 82, 83. So we'll move on the next page to its Terrace Talk and it's edited by Mick Weavers. So this is uh, Reader's Letters basically. So we'll pick out a few from here. And these are the ones that you spoke about earlier on, Sandy. So David McDonald from Bears Den, near Mulgai, near Mulgai, <laughs> near Glasgow. It's near Mulgai as well. It's near Mulgai. <laughs> it seems to agree with the critics that John Wark has been hitting out at. He says, It was just as well the home nations weren't represented in the European Championship finals. We'd have been played off the park. Judging by the limited TV coverage, the sides would have destroyed our teams with their superior skill and flair. Britain's international sides need to improve their basic skills before they compete with Europe's elite. The match responds, rubbish in capitals. The last time England played France in a competitive event, which was the 1982 World Cup, they beat them 3-1. There's no great gulf between the teams in France and our home countries in terms of skill. Yeah. So Kirk, Kirk Owers of Maidstone Kent writes, Could you please tell me whether the results have been published for the European Power Game competition featured in March during February? I love ones like that. So I might have missed it. Can you tell me what the answers were? So the match response is, Man United boss Ron Atkinson agreed to judge the competition, but so far we have yet to receive his winning lineup. Lazy bugger. We expect to give the result before the start of the new season. So, Jason Bryant, 14, from Bobber's Mill in Nottingham, writes, I love this one, Some of the prices for the refreshments at Wembley are a rip-off. Now, Jason went to see England versus Holland schoolboys on a hot day, but signs at Wembley stated that you're not allowed to take drinks inside. So he goes on, Stalls inside were selling packets of crisps at 35 pence, can of Coke, 55 and 65 pence, and tubs of popcorn at 70 pence. My £2 didn't last very long. It's unfair of sellers to exploit schoolboys in this way. Now, Match's response here. Our information is that the crisps were in fact 30 pence, Coke was 40 pence or 60 pence, and depending on the size of the cup, um, popcorn was 50 pence. So basically he got every single one of his prices wrong. <laughs> unless, unless you know, they've been skimming off the top at the stalls. And that was a thought as well. <laughs> A spokesman for Wembley said that I, I hated this, but a spokesman for Wembley said that prices charged were in brackets, com, in brackets in quotes, compatible with the London area. Yeah, so yeah, so basically you can charge what you want because it's a London area. Yeah. I don't like the fact that match are siding with the people that are charging the exorbitant prices rather than a fourteen-year-old boy who's rightly yeah. uh, annoyed at having to spend all his pocket money. Yeah. I mean, all you have to do is compare 38 pence for the magazine. That should be your, your yardstick here. It's like, if it was a 35 pence, that's almost like a magazine. You know, if you've if you got a can, if you've got a Coke at 40 pence, that's you. You kind of get your match magazine that week, yeah. sorry. So you're absolutely right. They should be saying, this is disgraceful. But I kind of like, I feel bad for Jason because it's not got anything other than worse in the 36 <laughs> years since this came out. Yeah. 
I went to that Queen's Park Clyde game at Hamden and it was like a fiver for a hot dog and yeah. and I don't know. I don't want to be a grumpy old man about it, but my, my two pound didn't last at all. <laughs> Shocking. Yeah. So the next one is um so this is one we spoke about before. So Michael Betcher of Walthamstow, London writes, How sad that England's young black stars, John Barnes and Mark Chamberlain, had to suffer the racist chance of hooligan England fans on their flight to Uruguay during their South American tour. The morons that jeered Barnes and Chamberlain are typical of the kind of worthless people that are destroying our game. The sooner they are, they are cleared from the Britain's football terms, terraces, the better. As you say, there was no response to that. I, I, I get I get your, what you said about it, but my initial thought was just, well, they, they don't need to reply to that. It's a statement. No. It's a statement rather than them asking a question. But, but I mean, the fact that there's it's tough on Spurs is a ten pound winner. It'd have been nice if they'd have given that the ten pound winner yeah, and yeah. highlighted it a bit better. Um, mm, that's that's yeah, a very good point. Pounds. So the 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 thing that I took from that as well. I mean, it says they were hounded on the actual flight, which just that's incredible as well. I mean, the whole thing is incredible, but you know, the fact that it was done on the flight as well. I mean, yeah. We, we the thing I don't get is like the way that like Raheem Sterling gets absolute dogs abuse from fans that aren't Man City, but then when he's in England duty, they support him, and it's like, well, that is, is taking like your racism to a different level. If you can like, oh no, it's fine if he's playing for my team, but mm. any other team, he's a despicable human being. Is like. I don't know. I, I mean, I know it, like racists aren't exactly known for their. <laughs> I don't know. It's yeah. just it's really embarrassing to see that it's, it's not exactly moved on as much as it should have since yeah. 1984. Yeah. But I mean, it's, it's good that somebody's writing in to highlight this. Yeah, I mean, and it's not confined just to football fans, but it's certainly it's a big thing. Football fans are fickle, and they they change their allegiances and their stripes in terms of, as you say, who's in their team. I mean, we've seen incidents where there's been racist incidents on the park and fans of a team that wasn't involved are, are vilifying the team that is involved and then when it happens further later on in the year and it's the team where the fans were vilifying it it happens with their team they're supporting their boy and it's just like you can you know be consistent that's yeah. all we ask be consistent well I'm, I'd, I'd rather i don't want them to be consistently racist you know i'd rather <laughs> you know but it's the idea like um people can understand like there's some clubs that are maybe worse for it than others, but they're making it as if it's an issue that that club have got rather than people in general. It's yeah. like, well, that's just somebody that lives in a big city, so it's, it doesn't matter what club they support. It should just be a blanket mm. thing that should be booted out. Basically, it's it's yeah. horrible that it still happens. Indeed. So you mentioned the the ten pound winner there. It's tough on Spurs. So this is Sally Vero from St Leonard's and Sea in Sussex who writes. I was furious to learn that Spurs had been fined £7,500 for fielding a weakened team in their league game at Southampton last season. What were they expected to do? Risk injuries and tire out their first 11 just two days before the UEFA Cup final first leg against Anderlecht? The match response, it's a league who should be fined for refusing to postpone Spurs game against Southampton. Their attitude towards our international teams and clubs involved in European competitions is just obstinate. It's It's... I mean, it's it's pathetic. 
it's pathetic. I mean, it's happened. It's happened up here in Scotland as well through the you know over the years as well. It's like, why on earth would you not postpone a game two days before an important UEFA Cup final leg? It's just it beggars belief to me. I, I I don't I don't understand. It's it's a it's a the mentality is it's this old club, you know, this old um you know, the the people at the top, they want to they want to be in charge of things. I I I, I can't I can't understand that in the slightest. No, I mean it's it, it, I can understand like back then um in fact no I can't understand it. It's just the idea of like I think it's it's oh, it's people that are in charge of the Premier League or the top league mm. kind of throwing their toys out of the pram because they don't want the European trophies to be seen as being more important than the league but yeah. I mean if, if Spurs were going for the championship then I can maybe understand them getting a little bit touchy about fielding weakened teams and that but if they're going for nothing in the league then of course let them try and focus on the yeah. UEFA Cup So we're on page 32 I'm going to have a quick look at this. So this is Collector's Fair in a fancy font. So this page is a number of small and medium adverts for mostly programmes. There does include an advert for for football repairs as in the ball um, on the right-hand side. It says, supply and fix bladder or panel for £4. Stitching minimum of £1.50. You can just buy a new ball for that. <laughs> P. Watson from Brighton is looking for fellow Legion United supporters to travel to home and away games by coach. There's one here for the programme cabin and it's fast and friendly services. Orders returned the same day as received and it's in Leeds Road, Howdenclough, Burstow, which is about five or ten minutes away from where I live. So I might, I might go up and see if it's still all going on. At the top of the page is the information. Telephone Bridget to advertise and match. And there's a small black and white photo accompanying this, presumably of Bridget. And she's, well, she's looking quite prim and... Do you think that's Bridget? Do you think that's really Bridget? Uh, why not? I don't know, there's a wee American-y look to her, I think, which... Uh. Sort of a little House in the Prairie type shirt as well. You know what I mean? Uh, I don't know. Well... There we I'm go. I'm going to see that as Bridget. <laughs> uh, page 34. That, there's an advert here for the hacky sack foot bag, which I think <laughs> we've spoke about before. And it says, It's kicking good fun, the new sport that fits in your pocket. As seen on TV, £3.99 plus a free match badge. I um, quite like that they've got this advert on page 34, but then in a look forward to next week's issue, it says, Great hacky sacks offer. And the lineup for what's coming next week. So they're really punting these hacky sacks. <laughs> well, if you notice, um, so as the match shop, so match match do this quite a bit. It's actually a lot of the adverts are for stuff that they're selling directly. So it says, what, what is hacky sack? And it says, it's a, two, a little bit too much information coming up for me here. <laughs> it's a two inch diameter handmade leather bound bag filled with plastic pellets weighing about 35 grams. And I say, okay. It's a, the object of the sport is to keep the bag aloft in constant flight using a series of different kicks, basically keepy-uppy. The solo world record is a breathtaking 17,872. Can you become the UK champion? My answer to that is a definite no. <laughs> um, no, no. No through lack of skill or anything, but the lack of just being asked, really, I think. Now, the advert shows the drawing of a boy keeping up a hacky sack. 
includes a coupon to send away for your bag and don't forget your free match badge. Um, so on, on these two pages we're on as well is the World of Soccer compiled by Paul Stratton. And this is a look across a number of different stories throughout the European game. So the first one we're going to look at here is Maradona Mania hits Naples. It says, Naples fans took the Italian city by storm with news of the signing of Argentinian star Diego Maradona. They danced in the streets, lit torches, fired rockets and dived into the sea to celebrate the world record 5.4 million capture from Barcelona. Even before the transfer was complete, Napoli fans ruined more than 2,000 ballot papers at the European Parliament elections by signing their papers Diego Maradona instead of voting for a candidate. 200 married couples have already christened their babies Armando Diego in the honour. Yeah, they're a bit mad over there. Maradona says, I said I would not play for Barcelona any longer and I am delighted the deal has gone through. I've had a hard time in Spain for two years, but now I'm joining the strongest league in the world and look forward to playing some real football. And the article also mentions Terry Venables looking for a replacement with a bid for Spurs, Steve Archibald failing. And it was obviously at this point because he did go on to sign him. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I love that 2,000 ballot papers spoiled in the European elections. Have you seen the documentary, Sandy? Yeah, I went and saw the cinema. It was excellent. It was really good. I just thought, like, there's a lot of times sport in sort of biopic type things like that can be a bit dry, but... Just the amount of access they had to, yeah. like, archive footage that must have been filmed by people in the Mafia. It's just, <laughs> it was immense. It was really great. Mm. And also, I didn't really appreciate his sort of club career, because I only mm. really knew him from Argentina, mm. maybe yeah. 94 onwards. But I just, he, he seemed like immense. And maybe not at Barcelona. I didn't realise he was kind of, had that, trouble the time there but yeah. the footage of him at Napoli was just incredible really great Some yeah. so we're going to go into the, the last page here page 36 and it's a star spot so basically it's matches equivalent of the football focus and this is Gary Waddick that's that's a name and a half QPR and era so red headed Gary is sporting quite the, the gold chain around his neck yeah. over the top of his uh, QPR shirt again splendidly bouffanted ginger hair the the picture of him here always reminds me of Ron Weasley from Harry Potter. <laughs> I think I, I just I can't I, I can't not see him when I see this photograph, and I've seen other photographs and he doesn't look quite as Ron Weasley. But yeah, we'll take just take a look at just a handful of these responses. So birthplace was in London, obviously Irish ancestry there in order to play for Era. First or car might be his current car is Ford Escort. Club nickname Wada. Football nicknames are just so crap. Uh, favourite other team, Man United. Favourite player and why? Diego Maradona. He's brilliant. I think we can all agree with that. Favourite food, steak pie and mash. Who would you most like to meet? Princess Diana. Uh, that explains the haircut, actually. <laughs> so, it's, it's a Diana cut, isn't it? It really uh, is. So, listen, on... On that, um, at this point, I'm just going to give a wee shout. We we team up with a, a charity partner in our, our podcast, um, and we try and give them, you know, shout outs and we try and get them some donations and things as well if we can. So I'm just going to give you a little shout out here for our current charity partner, which is the West Dunbartonshire Community Food Share, and that's Dunbartonshire with an N. So this charitable organisation provides various services and support to the local community, including the following. 
school uniform bank, a school holiday brunch bags, food provisions, Christmas toy bank, cooking and growing lessons and a baby bank. Now, they provide essential support to the local community and supporting individuals and families and we will be looking to support them in any way we can through the podcast. This will include drives for donations of food, money and support in the form of volunteers but we will also be raising the awareness of the group to highlight the work that they do but also to ensure that families and individuals who can benefit from the group are aware of these vital services. And we'll hear a lot more about the West Dumbartonshire Community Food Share in our future podcasts so you can follow them on the West Dumbartonshire Community Food Share group on Facebook or on westdumbartonshirecommunityfoodshare.co.uk for the website. But also keep an eye on our Twitter accounts at shoottb underscore podcast and at Scott's Footy Cards for updates and news on our charity partner. And one of the things we do is we do an accompanying webpage with each show and it will contain all the, the, the links and all the, the photos and articles and stuff that we've discussed. On that as well, there'll be a donate button. And what we do is we say, for each pound you donate, it basically gives you a virtual raffle ticket. And what we'll do is we'll create a goodie bag for each show. And it will at least contain the, the original magazine that we spoke yeah, about. Nice. You know, if, if people can donate that way great but as we also say as well it's about getting also getting money for the, the charities so you know if you don't want to go through that way go to the go to the website and if you can even if you can't donate just support them follow them you know help out with retweeting anything that they need to be retweeted but if you're going to donate donate to them we'd also like to say a special thanks as we do to pete wiley of the mighty wah for the use of story of the blues and the music of our show so that's the intro and outro music for the show and you can catch up with Pete on petewiley.co.uk where you can check out details, say, of upcoming gigs, but who knows when that's going to be and new music. But please check it out. And Pete's a good man. And lastly, we'd also like to thank a producer, Diane Jardin, for a ongoing great work and support and help in so many aspects of what we do. And please check out transmissionroom.co.uk and that's a rehearsal and recording facilities in Clyde Bank. And obviously once things get lifted and that, if, if you're looking to do any sort of recording of that in the area, then please check out Transmission Room with Diane. Um, so on that, Sandy, I'd like to thank you again for joining us. It's been a it's been a pleasure and it's been um it's been great to talk to you about about the magazine. So thank you for joining us. Well, thank you for having me on. It's been really fun. Good stuff. Nathan, uh, you want to plug yeah. Yeah. Um, well, live comedy is not really a thing at the moment, so not really. Hmm. Um, no, I've just I've had a really good time today, and I'm going to be plugless. <laughs> well, what we'll do is I'll, I'll get in touch with you when, when we're doing when we're about to release the podcast, and I'm doing the website. I'll get in touch and see if there's anything you want linked to any websites yep. or things like that. So I'll do that, and we'll put it on the website as well, and we'll, we'll do it on Twitter. So thank you again. Thank you, Tom, for being Tom. Thanks, Andy. And thank you for everyone listening out there. Um, I hope you've enjoyed it. As we keep saying, share, you know, let others know, share the podcast, um, listen again, be safe, uh, look after each other. Until the next time, let's shoot the breeze. <laughs>